Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Unplug with Annie. I continue the series of Drive today and I have Stephen Fadge on the show today. Stephen started his career as a robotics engineer and has since worked to become an entrepreneur and he's now focused on on bringing his story and experiences to the world and learning from managing mental illness since he was diagnosed in the 11th grade. Um, He is always on a mission to show what is possible despite circumstances and not allowing um, his illnesses or or anything else to dictate his life. And I'm with him on the show today to to share some of these amazing, incredible lessons. And he's also got his own podcast called My Niche is Human. So um, he's doing some great, great things and I'm sure we can learn a lot from him. So I'm really looking forward to having this chat today. Hi, Stephen. Welcome to Unplug with Annie. Thank you so much for doing this. I know we've been talking about it for a long time, but it's yes. happening. <laughs> yes. All in good timing. All in good timing. Um, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited for 2020. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I, I, I'm also hoping that it's going to be a, a good year. 2019 has been a bit of a roller coaster for me. So, yeah. Um, so, so. Firstly, I mean, I want to know about you and uh, if you can tell us a little bit about your journey because you've you've been doing robotic engineering, if I'm not wrong, and then uh, you made this transition to entrepreneurship. How how did that happen? Sure. So uh, I was a nerd all the way through high school and college and um, got into robotics, more so in the manufacturing side. Um, But I got to the point where I felt like I was hitting a glass ceiling. And I wanted more. I wanted unpredictability. It was almost too safe. Um, so I went to grad school down here in Tampa, Florida, uh, in entrepreneurship and started a business based on my experience in manufacturing because it was kind of what I knew. Um, so I really just kind of broke out of it thinking, I don't want to work for someone for the rest of my life. Uh, I saw a lot of my mentors at the time working at a really good company that I was at for. 20 years plus. Um, but every time it came uh, for evaluations and raises and, and all that stuff, they were very unhappy. And these are some of the smartest people I've ever been around. And to see them work so hard and then have their results dictated by a panel of people behind closed doors telling them how much they deserve. I mean, that to me seemed crazier and scarier than going off and trying to start a business. So I took the leap. So that was essentially the driving force for you. Hundred percent. Yeah, it was it was scarier and riskier to stay with a company and do the corporate thing for me than to yeah. try. Um, you know, and I had age on my side, so. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, I mean, what do you think? Do you think that the 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 driving force for that change for a lot of entrepreneurs is is the fact that you can be your own boss and you get to sort of dictate the experience of whatever it is you're doing. Yes. And especially now I'm 35 and I look at people like my nephew who's 18 for, you know, I'm technically a millennial, but for the true millennials growing up with Instagram and YouTube more from a business side and something to uh, Mm -hmm. aspire to, Mm -hmm. I think they have even more tools and resources to where I might challenge that people, maybe my nephew's age wouldn't even consider the corporate route. It's almost the default to kind of do your own thing where for, you know, I'll speak for myself. For me, it was get the job, get the benefit. I think it's just a different path. So for people my age, the effort goes into maybe breaking out of these older mindsets 
and for the younger ones, it's just kind of becoming the way. The way, yeah, no, very true. Um, I, I mean, something I really like talking about on the show generally with my guests is I, I feel like mental health has become like a huge topic. Um, I know you've had your own experience and you, I mean, you just mentioned millennials. So I also feel like kids growing up in this, in this day and age where, you know, technology is, is like the driving force and, and you are uh, instantly exposed to everyone around the world and you are comparing yourself, even if you sort of try and avoid it. I feel like it's just, you're more prone to that now. Um, Percy, tell us about your experience uh, in this space. Sure. So this has become kind of my mission. Um, so back in 11th grade, times were crazy. I was kind of the punk and it was more than just bad behavior. Uh, it turned into a diagnosis with bipolar disorder type two. Uh, so there's two types. Uh, we can dive into that after, but it turned into a life of learning, a life of not letting a diagnosis become a crutch or a role or an identity or, or anything like that. I remember when I was 18, I told my mother, I said, I'm going to use this as a gift. This is not going to be my curse or my crutch. You know, with bipolar, there's, there's manic, which is very high, and then there's depressed, and that's very low. And I said, for me, that shows me a wider view of life, maybe a wider perspective that other people don't get to access. So while it may be hard to handle at times up or down, um, I kind of accepted that challenge and tried to learn as much as I could from it. Um, so now my mission with, with my projects is to share all the things that I've learned and especially for the younger types with all this access to uh, information, it's let's put out some information that helps them manage all of these comparison traps and all of these, you know, trolling and bullying and, and all these things that can accelerate um, any kind of mental health issues. So. And, and how did you, how did you navigate um, around that? Because sometimes I feel like when you are diagnosed with something, you're given some kind of label, it sort of becomes your identity. Um, did you struggle with that or were you always quite firm in, 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 in who you are? So what's really interesting looking back on it now you know, I sit here now and, and I say, I didn't let it become my identity. I didn't wear it like a badge. But what's interesting, what actually happened was it did become my identity because I became someone who had to look so normal, so put together so that no one thought I was crazy or so that no one ever found out. So it was kind of the inverse. I didn't realize it was controlling me. I was trying so hard to look like I didn't have it. Uh, so it, it did, in essence, at that point, define me um, until I shared the story publicly, and then I just kind of became me. Not Stephen, who, who doesn't have a mental mm. illness diagnosis. Not Stephen, who's with it or without it. It's just, this is my story. If that, does that make sense? Yeah, just embracing it's, all of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And now you're, I mean, your experience as an entrepreneur, how has that been different? Has your, has your driving force changed that, um, from the beginning when you were doing your engineering um, or, or would you say like you're, you're just as passionate it's just that it comes with different kinds of challenges and, and trials so that's a great question I looking back also I noticed so I started my first business in July of 2012 and I was coming fresh off of an engineering career 
grad school and then jumping right into business. And I look back and I see my, my interactions with customers or leads or partners or vendors, all that. It was very robotic. It was very safe and, and you know, to the point and almost rigid. Uh, but as I, the, the more I embraced my diagnosis or the freedom of it and, and sharing that story, I, I accepted myself more. And by accepting myself more, I could accept others for where they were. And I was less judgmental or less apt to take things personally. So what this all leads to is business is people, right? Whether it's very technical engineering or it's selling t-shirts. Mm -hmm. If you can connect with people on a more personal level, uh, you know, you're not spilling your stuff through your emails and your interactions, but just letting them be where they're at and honoring, maybe they're having a bad day and just kind of speaking to them like a human. I, I found that customers started to respond to me more the more I accepted myself. It, yeah, interesting. And what do you think, what do you think that like the successful traits of an entrepreneur are uh, in your experience? So I'm seeing a lot more about this, which I love it. The, the answer to the question is emotional intelligence. So entrepreneurs deal with rejection, with failure, with imposter syndrome, with all the things that they were, they grew up with all the traumas from their childhood, right? We're all grownups trying to unlearn our childhood and then become valuable humans. And if you can't sit and reflect on your wins and your losses and try to adjust your behavior as a result, um, I think you're going to fall into a lot of traps. Uh, so if you take everything personally and you start attacking customers and even passive aggressive little ways, you know, we've all experienced this, you know, that one really bad customer service experience, mm. you know, where someone kind of attacked us, whatever their shit is, whatever their crap is, if they're having a bad day. So, in order to rise, in order to establish a position of leadership, in order for people to follow you because they know you, like you, trust you, in order to have real influence, you have to know who you are and you have to embrace your crap. Um, so emotional intelligence is by far, and plus I'm, I love the topic, so maybe I'm a little biased. <laughs> so do, do you feel like you have, a, in your experience so far, has there been like certain trials which you've experienced which really sort of knocked you or would you say that you had like a kind of Achilles heel which you're now uh you know with experience are able to not repeat the same things whatever that is yes so I started the business when I was I don't know July of 2012 call it 28 I'm not good at quick math and again looking back I've done been doing a lot of looking back I was very, I don't want to say purely, but I was very driven by ego because I, however I learned it, I thought that when you start a business and you're the CEO, you're the entrepreneur, you are the face of the business. Uh, but I was running a service business. So, but I thought the more accolades, the more recognition I got, the more important people would think I am, dot, 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 the more they would want to do business with me. Yeah. That's not necessarily the case, especially in my business. It was technical. There was a lot of moving parts. It's big, it's capital equipment, it's big machines. So in essence, they don't really care what I'm doing. They just want to make sure it shows up. They get support when they need it. You know, they don't get left hanging, stuff like that. So there's a really pivotal moment where this happened. I was at one point, I used to chase a lot of recognition, right? Especially in the industry, getting awards and all that. I self-nominated myself for something in Tampa once. It was just kind of silly, you know? Um, but there was one time where I was recognized for, uh, being a rising star in the plastics industry, in the manufacturing industry. 
and that happened. I don't remember what year, but then two years later, I got an email from the the newspaper that ran this event, and they said, "Hey, you know, we're having another rising star banquet up here in Chicago. We want to recognize past recipients. Would you like to come and visit?" And again, all in hindsight, what actually happened was my ego said, "Oh shit, it's been a while." I haven't been in the newspaper. This is another chance to be recognized. Maybe this will boost my business. So I, you know, it, it was kind of out of the way to get there. I spent money, time away from the business, went to Chicago, went to this big dinner. And when I walk in there, it, something felt off and it was full of people that were not really connected to my business. They were plastics engineers. It was media people, but it really had nothing to do with my customers, with my territory, with my vendors, anything like that. Long story short, I ended up sitting at a table by myself. I didn't get called on stage like I expected to. And I went home with, with nothing, with nothing but a bruised ego. And I said, okay, I've done something wrong here, but there's something to learn. What drove me here was my ego. This did nothing for my business. And I need to shift my focus purely to what can I do for my customers, not what can I do for my image, thinking that in turn boosted any kind of value for my customers. So the turning point with, for me was realizing it has nothing to do with me mm. or my image or what, what I present to people has to do with, well, excuse me, has to do with what I actually do for them. If that yeah. kind of yeah. comes together. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I so it, it brings up another question in my mind that I know that there's a lot we can learn from each other. And um, I think that there was a, a quote, which uh, to paraphrase in a way was, was basically saying that, um, rather than going out and making all these mistakes yourselves, we now can learn from other people's mistakes. But I feel like as an entrepreneur, somewhere down the line, you are going to make mistakes because every business and every project is so individual. Um, like, so people have that approach as well that, you know, I'd rather just not um, hear about other people's experiences, experience it for myself. But would you, would you say that that's an egoistic approach and that actually we should uh, be doing our research, be reading about people's experiences and talking to people before we venture and, and do something ourselves? Well put and great question. I do think it's a form of avoidance for the scenario that you described to say, oh, well, I can just read about it. I can just listen to a podcast about it. Mm. Those are people who are really afraid because it's not about not making mistakes. It's about making mistakes and how well you recover because you can read all these books. You can listen to all this stuff I mean, I'll just speak for myself. There have been times where I've just escaped and said, I'm just going to read all these books about it, but I wasn't actually growing. And as I journal, I look back and realize the times that what I read really sunk in or that it really clicked was when I, you know, smacked my face against whatever, when I actually went out and had the conversation with a family member, a business person, a partner, whatever, uh, it's, it's interaction, it's social interaction, it's life experience that actually moves the needle. And that's yeah. where emotional intelligence comes in. So anyone who just says, I'll read a book about it, watch, watch them and, and see how far they go. That's, that's a real challenge. Mm, interesting. And, and you, mentioned, you mentioned journaling. So is, is there, other than journaling, is there something that you do in your daily routine, which is uh, something that you swear by that really helps you in the process, whether it's a mindset thing or just a, a mental health thing um, to bring you peace? what would those things be that you consistently do every day? So this I, I struggle with. Uh, a morning routine is something that I'm working to establish. Um, but I would say 
something that's kind of naturally occurred is run the tape over, you know, I, I run the tape over uh, what happened today, who did I interact with, especially if something went kind of fuzzy where there's a little bit of friction. It's what did I bring to the table? Uh, did I overreact or did I take something too personally? Maybe so definitely reflection. Uh, my style has been pretty cerebral, but I've just recently started doing morning pages. Uh, so, uh, you know, mine. So the artist way is quite amazing uh, okay. by Julia Cameron. So it's about finding your inner creative. It's 12 weeks of kind of journaling on an individual topic. Uh, so journaling is something totally different because again, I've always been very in my head, but seeing it on paper uh, is something very different. So, I mean, this sounds cheesy, but make your damn bed, you know, every morning. I, and there's a whole, there's a very popular YouTube about this. Uh, he was a military general and the title of it is make your bed, check it out. But what it does is it puts your mind or your brain into a task oriented mindset. And it gives you that little sense of accomplishment right off the bat. So then you're kind of training your brain to get things done, be mindful, take care of yourself, be grateful for where you slept. You know, that's your first thank you of the day. Take care of what took care of you kind of thing. Um, I wish I had a better answer for you. It's just kind of <laughs> no, be, being no. mindful and, and just trying to really pay attention to your language, how you're interacting with people, especially how you're responding to people. Let's say you're driving down the street and we all know the difference between driving somewhere when we have extra time and driving somewhere when we're running out of time or we're late. Notice how yeah. everyone on the street is all of a sudden a jerk when you're late and it has nothing to do with them. Yeah. They didn't change yeah. your perspective change. So just be mindful of, of that, of stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Very true. And, and so I was having this conversation with someone recently and we were talking about success and uh, successful people and you know how they've gone on to achieve the things that they really set out to achieve and he his perspective was very much the case that um the most successful people have had to reach a, a level of rock bottom where they've really sort of been fed up of themselves and it's after they've reached that place uh, almost a place of desperation that they actually go on to do their best work um, would you would you agree with this? Do you think that um, in order to be successful, one has to really reach that reach that point in their life, or or is it something else? I agree with that. Uh, rock bottom is very subjective, though. Especially, so I can give you a couple examples. One uh, in a every business is sales based, but if your role is sales based and you're earning commissions, you don't get a salary. My business, I'm 100% exposed, right? If I don't sell something, I don't make money. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a theory in sales where you're on the roller coaster. When you're making a lot of sales, you're like, oh, this is going to go on forever. You know, there's stories of the sales guys buying boats before the check even cashes. So you're all lit when you're making a lot of money. And then when you're making a lot of money, you also get a little comfortable, right? You're like, ah, you know, maybe I won't return as many phone calls because my stomach is full. I'm not as right. hungry. But then you're not planting seeds, especially if you have a longer sales cycle. So again, in my business, it's six months to two years. So if you're not constantly planting seeds, if you look at a timeline, you'll eventually get to a point where nothing's sprouting because six months earlier you weren't planting. Mm. So then you go through a dip, but then you get really hungry, right? And then you start making phone calls. And you, so it's, it's this vicious cycle. So uh, getting low on sales, that again, rock, rock bottom is subjective. You might call that a bottom. And it's like, well, what am I doing wrong? Let me reevaluate. Let me change my behavior. Let me change my attitude. So that's a very like plain money yeah. example. But then 
look at your relationships as you acquire more or less friends or the quality of your friends are better or worse. It's how am I treating them? You know, what am I doing for myself? What am I bringing to the table? And as you dip, again, self-reflect, what, what am I, actually everything I just said, what am I doing for them? Um, rock bottom for me, I kind of already told the story. It was when I flew all the way to Chicago just to, mm-hmm. just to tickle my ego. And I'm just like, damn, I'm doing this all wrong. And, and that was a big evaluation time for me to realize it, it's, it's not me. And I, then I looked back and realized how much my business was suffering. Um, yeah, that and then relationships. I don't know if you want to go there, but there's all kinds of rock bottoms in relationships that teach us a lot. So yeah, to answer your question, rock bottom is key because when you have too much, you can't see. You know, if you have too much money, you're lazy. If you have too many friends or too many opportunities, you're not focused. You, you just think it's just going to keep coming. It's easy to lose track. It's easy to take things for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, the way to kind of stoke that for your listeners, uh, you know, people with opportunity and, and maybe they're born with an affluence. How can they kind of stoke that, right? Because, you know, the story of Buddha, he was a prince. He went and lived on the streets because he needed to stoke that rock bottom perspective because he knew that's where real power in in focus comes from the way you can stoke it the way i've stoked it is minimalism so don't go make yourself poor but live simply have less create more space uh, and then you can kind of just focus on what matters yeah no that's a really good point and i was i was mentioning ego i i read a book recently by ryan holiday called ego is the enemy love it yeah yeah so he says something really interesting in that as well that you almost have to pick whether it's whether it's you wanting that fame and recognition and all of that, or whether it's you know in the doing in in the legacy you want to leave behind, um, so I think that's a very interesting point you made. So then, for you, would you say that you you have literally done that switch? That initially you were going after that, but now the purpose has become something much greater. Yes, now I'm I'm getting a little taste of uh, what you hear people like Ryan Holiday say. You don't chase money. For the Ferrari, you chase money because you need resources to further spread your message. Yeah. So it's all about intention. So I'm, I'm beginning to get a taste of that. I'm like, well, shit, I need to make money so my podcast can get bigger, but it's not so I can do all the things, you know, it's just literally so I can fly to meet more people, to do more interviews, to get more, da, da, yeah. da, you know, however. It, so you, I, I definitely think it takes a level of maturity. I definitely think it takes a couple of years of losing time chasing the wrong thing and you only know it's the wrong thing until maybe years later. Uh, so that's a great example. Now that we're saying this, you can't read that in a book, mm. right? You can read about somebody else doing that, but your perspective is your own. Your journey is your own. I'm getting goosebumps. Like you can only figure it out by, by doing it. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. And what is your vision now going into 2020? Um, would you say the drive has changed now? Is it the same? Is it just about, spreading the message to more people, helping more people. How do you see this year panning out for you? Sure. So 2019 was uh, the first year of the podcast. That uh, I admitted even when I, I shared my talk um, at the event last year, it, it was a selfish act uh, with value added, meaning it, I just wanted to get the monkey off my back. I wanted to just kind of say, hey, world, this is who I am. I've kind of been lying up until now, making you think everything's perfect. Uh, so 2019 was about sharing myself and kind of 
breaking out, if you will. And now 2020 is more so how can I stoke other people to embrace their truth and, and stoke all that. So yeah, okay. selfish, selfless, kind of. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so I know that you mentioned relationships and I don't know if I want to go there, but um, kind of if moving on into that direction, I feel like the relationships we do keep, um, whether it's personal or business, it has a, a big effect on the work that we do and how we're able to um, achieve the things we want to do. And, you know, there's an energy exchange for sure. And I feel like with, with a lot of men, I, it's a very generic perception, but um, it, it's almost like, I feel like there's extra pressure on men to have everything together, even though they might be sort of crumbling inside, um, just because that's what society expects or what we've been taught, what we've read about, um, the kind of figures we've been exposed to. Um, was there ever a moment for you when adversity took the reins? And perhaps it's something you've already mentioned on the chat, um, where you you were really struggling with this, with expressing yourself and what you're going through on the inside. Yes, so I will speak to past romantic relationships. Something that I think a lot of men struggle with, and maybe women, but I'll, I'll speak for the gentleman, is you know the phrase, you know the scenario where a woman might say, oh, he'll come back, right? After a breakup, oh, he'll come crawling back, right? Mm-mm-mm. And not even to judge that, but let me explain what's kind of happening, okay? Because yeah. it does make sense, and I'll tell you why he always comes back, right? Okay. Because as you say, uh, we look like we have to have it all together, right? And, mm. and the majority of us are raised to be strong and rigid and stoic, right? And it's not okay to cry. There's no crying in baseball, mm. all these things. So then when we come to a romantic relationship and there's conflict, and it requires you to be emotional and vulnerable and forthcoming with your concerns and, and your feelings, at least in, in our 20s, right? A lot of people can relate. There's a, a lot of breakups because of unresolved conflict. So women are typically more in touch with their emotions. You've processed this, right? You, you can process this as the conflict is going on. Yeah. Us men, we're like, oh, yeah, fine. Leave me. Whatever. I got this. I'm good. I'm not going to break. Right. And then they run away and then it takes them a couple months and all of a sudden it all kicks in. Right. It's, it's almost like a delayed response where they're finally able. Oh, wow. Like I really felt this way. If I just asked her this or just told her how I felt. And that's why they come crawling back. Cause they're like, Oh, but I'm different now. Things have changed. I'm a new man. I finally understand. Right. So there's a delay. Mm. And I believe from personal experience, I went through that multiple times, too many multiple times. <laughs> and but, and you honestly mean it when you come back, you're like, but I've been feeling this way. I wish I had just said whatever. And you know the line, well, it's too late. You should have said something back then. I've moved on, right? I'm sure some of your male listeners can relate. It's because we didn't think it was okay to be vulnerable in the moment because to your question, we think we have to appear like, okay, I got this. You're freaking out. Otto can't handle this. I got to go, right? However, it comes out. That's mm. a crass best way to put it. But that's what I think is going on. It's because we don't think it's okay to cry. We don't think it's okay to dive into the moment with our partner. And then it's a delayed reaction and we come crawling back. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find it considering like the whole mental, uh, you know, mental illness and, and, and reaching out mental health awareness and all of this, that this, this part is still not being spoken about so yes. much. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, but have you, from a business perspective then, have you, did you feel like along this journey of success and, and your achievements that people, that you had to kind of drop people intentionally along the way um, because of your vision or your journey and they weren't serving your purpose? Do you feel that it's part and parcel of, of, of being on this journey and that we should be aware of, of the energy we're deciding to keep around us? 100%. So I'll start with friendships and then turn that into business relationships because it's kind of great, but it all comes down to self-worth and what you think you deserve. Uh, so if you grew up with a little bit of emotional or physical abuse, or mm -hmm. if you've been in relationships where that's kind of trained you to think that's acceptable behavior, that translates into acquaintanceships, business partnerships, and even how you deal with customers. So if you think it's okay to kind of get spoken ill to or kind of emotionally abused, Partners will take advantage of you. Even customers will take advantage of you. They can sense the fact that you don't really respect yourself. They see you as a doormat. And especially in business, it's all about acquiring resources. They're going to get theirs and leave you hanging. And you're going to figure, why can't I find anyone who does the right thing or who wants to just work with me? Uh, it's because of what you're putting out and actually what you're letting come in. So, so how, how in, in terms of if you had to give any advice, what would the advice be for for not being an enabler of that. Sure. So uh, I love the saying, uh, don't listen to what people say, listen to what they do. Mm. So it's, it's real easy for uh, myself included. I was a people pleaser. I just wanted everyone to be my friend. I just wanted to be liked. If you have a partnership, uh, a colleague, whatever you're doing, if you're networking or trying to work with a customer, if you're always giving and they're always taking, Pay attention to that. You know, even customers, you know, what they can give you is some kind of commitment. They can give you the information you're asking for. If you're always chasing and always over serving, I mean, we're humans, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, there is business and there, there's producer and consumer, business and customer, but there's got to be some level of reciprocity. There's got to be some level of human recognition. Thank you for helping me. Thanks for solving my problem. You know, it's the kind of behavior that you allow or disallow. So pay attention, again, what they're doing, not what they're saying. They might shower you with compliments. They might open the conversation with, so Annie, ask me about your day. You say a couple things, cool. Now here's what I need from you, <laughs> right? It, it's, it's a right. trick. It, it gets you all lifted up. You think they care. And then all of a sudden you're vulnerable. And then you kind of just gush, maybe for information that you should be charging for, maybe, yeah. you know, something else. So. And, and so tell us, because you've got a podcast yourself. Tell us a little bit about that. Ah, thank you. I didn't know if I was going to. So I've been wanting to do this for too long. Uh, I've literally owned this mic for probably four plus years and it sat on this desk for so long because I didn't think anyone would care. I was terrified to share my message, all the typical things. Uh, so I'm really excited to be doing it. So couldn't figure out a name. Uh, maybe you went through the exercise when you started yours. They said, pick an avatar, right? Or pick a niche. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, is it sports? Is it politics? Is it whatever? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm not saying I'm Tim Ferriss, but he gets to do everything. He gets to be interested <laughs> in everything, right? So I am too, human behavior, all these yeah. different things. And I was out on, I was doing a paddleboard race and I'm out on the water by myself, kind of just out of my mind, just trying to get through the race. And I'm just like, you know what? Screw all that. My niche is human. And I was like, well, name your podcast that. Why not? Because uh, yeah. I just want to talk to humans. It's, uh, so it's a focus on mental health and entrepreneurship a lot of the questions that you've brought up. Uh, and I like how you said, that's the conversation that's not happening. Uh, 
you know, men not thinking it's okay to cry. You know, if men were more in touch with their emotions, how much more effective would they be as business leaders, right? There's so many connections between mental health and entrepreneurship. So mm. yeah, I mean, it's, I've had, I got eight episodes out. Uh, yeah, I'm just really excited about it. Amazing. Well, that's great. Um, look, thank you so much for being, for being on the show. Like I, I always feel like there's just, there's so much more conversation, which I want to have with my guests. Um, but always a lack of time, but thank you so much for sharing that little bit about your journey. And, um, I'm sure, I'm sure the listeners are going to find a lot of, a lot of good points to take away from this chat. Thank you for having me. This was great. And that's the end of another episode on Unplug with Annie. Thank you for listening into the series of Drive. Tune in every Sunday and stay updated with everything Unplug on our IG page and Facebook page, Unplug with Annie.